Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. This morning, this message, I I want to call it, or I am calling it, a, a transforming grace. Um, in a competing world. If we look two weeks ago at God's, God's response and his hospitality, his, his attitude as, as Mary, your song was great, just he welcomes us to this banquet feast. And if last week Micah talked about now we respond out of that uh, with worship and, and bringing people into, our, uh, into hospitality and bringing us into their world, this quest, the question that I want us to ask this week is why don't we? Why don't we mourn? Why is it so hard? And do we understand the the importance of this as we see Scripture, this topic, this idea of welcoming people in there? And, and it doesn't say hospitality necessarily, but it's all over the place in the Scriptures. And so this morning, as we go into it, I, I first want to have an activity. I first want you to consider with me in your mind, think about you going home. I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about going to your house here in town or out in the country, wherever it is. Think about your going home. You know your home. You know your street. And this afternoon, you'll, you'll pull up on, on your block. And you'll turn the corner. And actually, maybe we should say, think about your home in like June when you'd rather you know, mow the lawn rather than shovel snow out front, right? We, we know it, we turn, and we pull up to our house, and, and then as we pull up our driveway, we, we press the button, and the garage door goes open, and we drive into our house, and we press the button again, and we praise Jesus that the garage door goes closed, because on days like this last Thursday, it's nice to not have to be outside in the cold, right? We, we know our house, and as you now take yourself from the garage into the the go in and you go through the kitchen, if you're one of the ladies here and you love to bake, you see that KitchenAid mixer on the counter and you're like, yes, this is my house, things are in the right place, they're right where they want them to be. If you're a guy, you, you come in and you, you see your chair this afternoon and you're like, I get to sit and relax and do my thing. You know your house, you look around as you picture it in your mind and you know that the stuff on the walls really reflects you. you got trinkets from your travels. You have uh, books on the shelves if you like to read, or DVDs if you're a movie buff. Or, if you're more likely some of the people in this room, you got tractor stuff on the walls, right? Anyone? No? Okay. You know your house. You, you know your stuff. You enjoy it. It's home. It, it, and even if there's that, that project that you've been putting off for three or four years, and you say... I'm going to get to it eventually, but you're still like, but you know what, it's home, and that's okay, and, and I like it this way. We know our homes. Home is where the heart is, where we eat, where we sleep. And for some of you, you spend too much time with the Reader's Digest in the bathroom, and you don't even close the door. It must be funny. You can laugh at that. No one's going to raise their hand and give an amen after it. You, 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 it's okay, it's your home, it's your place, it's your dwelling, you love it. And we're familiar with it. 
And I think these things, when we have your image of, of this is my space, this is where the rubber hits the road to say this is where welcoming people in our world gets hard. In our home, the house over our heads. And I'm not saying that we have to be perfect at it. And I'm not saying that we have to be, you know, Martha Stewart and just have the perfect parties all the time and entertain. But I want us to consider this morning, why don't we, why is it so hard, and especially when it comes to our house? This morning, you can open up with me to chapter 12 of Romans. Chapter 12 of Romans. And I'm going to read the, the first, or the whole chapter. But I, we're really, in this message, going to just focus on chapter, verses 1 and 2. Those are familiar verses. And they, they apply to a lot of the, the things, but I, I think that there's something here that can help us in our context of hospitality that we can consider for a moment. In chapter 12, verse 13, we'll read it in this passage, Paul actually says, Pursue hospitality. Go after it. Follow it. Find it. Do it. Be hospitable. It's one of the three places where it is told we're called to do it, and dare I say we're commanded to be hospitable. So as we get into this passage, let me uh, let me just read. We'll pray to God and, and, and just ask Him to help us to listen to His Word and, and take it to heart, and then we'll uh, read the passage. So join me as we go before the Lord. Father God, we thank You this morning. We thank You this morning that we can gather in this building as a family, that You welcome us into this family. See this morning, I pray that this is a this is something that we don't deserve. It, it's a welcome that uh, we have not earned, but you have purchased for us. And now the life that we live is something that we want to give to you. Lord, I pray for my my spirit that as I sit here and think about. Romans 12, chapter 1, or chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He goes on. For the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us 
use them, if prophecy in the proportion of our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, and the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless them, do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight, repay no one evil for evil, but give. Though you do not, though you do what is honorable in the sight of, of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peace, peaceably with one and with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay," says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Forced by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not overcome. to read that chapter, not just because in chapter in verse 13 we see Paul say, seek hospitality, but as I read this definition, which is on this next slide, uh, that the hospitality is defined as the critical and consistent act of working, welcoming strangers to become family by offering what is most needed out of that which God has given us. Again, this is our definition we've read in both the other sermons. Hospitality is the critical and consistent act of welcoming strangers to become family by offering what is most needed out of that which God has given us. Paul only mentions the word hospitality one time. But as you read through the book of, or the chapter of Romans 12, you will see that what he is talking about through this whole thing is being hospitable. Loving one another, sharing our gifts that God has given us with one another, giving uh, even our enemies food and drink. He's talking about this idea uh, of caring for one another and being something that fits into this definition. Being hospitable. Again, he only says it one time, but this whole passage speaks of being horizontally hospitable as part of God's family, as part of our worship with one another, and then also into the community abroad. And that's why I want to focus on verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 are going to be the hinge verse, which I'll speak of what that means in a little bit, of this passage of, of Romans as we look before we get into exhortations of hospitality. It's important for us to just remember this morning what Micah told us last week. Micah read from Hebrews 12, and if you weren't here, uh, he, he did a great job of just uh, taking apart this this call to being hospitable, but he he based it on the idea that we have been given something. We've been given an unshakable kingdom that can't be taken away. Hebrews 12, 28, he says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. God has been hospitable to us. We are hospitable to the others because that is our worship to God. Because of what he's given to us, 
we can't be shaken. We've been given something great. And we can continue more into John's, into John's gospel where Jesus himself, he, he says these words, right? That he is going to a home. He's going to prepare a place for us. Our kingdom will also be our home for eternity. John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That I that where I am, you will be also. This unshakable kingdom that that God has given us is one that Jesus has gone to prepare for us and he will come to bring us back to. And in this conversation that I'm having that I want us to be thinking about our house, the physical roof over our head, we are reminded that we have a home for eternity in Christ. Jesus is asked by Thomas, where are you going? We don't know the way. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father This is just setting a foundation for us to be reminded of what we've been given as Paul is about to ask us something major in Romans. If we are in Christ, if we trust Him as Lord and Savior, we have been given much. We've been welcomed into this hospitality. We need to be reminded of that again and again and again and again. Going to Romans, this book, this letter that Paul writes, we, we know by the title that it's written to a group of people who just so happen to be in the city of Rome. I don't know if you knew this, but Rome in that day was kind of a big deal. It was the place of government. It was the place of entertainment. It was the, the place of commerce. Uh, Caesar was on his throne there. And that is a kingdom that was setting the culture of the time. These words, kingdom and culture shaping. Those are things that I want us to consider this morning a little bit later. Keep those in mind. Rome is this place where, where they, the Christians were having to live in the midst of their kingdom and say, do I trust in God's kingdom that I've been given, this unshakable kingdom, or do I live in, in and amongst the culture and the kingdom that is before me? Do I buy into the culture that is in my worldview? It just so happens that Rome, the nation that was, or the empire that was, has collapsed. It was a not a unshakable kingdom. It was shakable. It did fall. And this book is written to those people who are really dealing with these life things as they're new Christians, both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. They're trying to figure this out as they go, and they are believers of, of Jesus. And Paul is exhorting them, how do you live? How should you live? Chapter 1, if we were to go there, we, we know the chapter that it speaks kind of of this uh, re, this kind of challenge that the world has, has exchanged God's ways for their own ways. They, they've turned away from God, and, and God has kind of let them go ahead with that. But, and, and it's a, kind of a, a sad commentary on the culture and the world that has, has chosen, I want my own stuff, my own kingdom. I want to chase the kingdom of the world. And we can sit there and point fingers and say, yeah, look at the world, how bad they were. But what we often forget is in chapter 2, Paul says this, he says, that world out there, they're strangers, but so were you. You were far off, you were enemies, you were distant from me, and now you have been brought back. And we know that the trace, the line, the trajectory of the gospel, or the, the book of Romans, it, it moves through the gospel, and it talks about how 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death, and that Jesus suddenly is becoming that, that sacrifice that brings us back and justifies us and brings us back in a right, right relationship with God. That's chapters 2 through 11 of Romans. And he ends it with saying, Amen. The gospel is good. It's brought us back in. And, and so chapters 1 through 11 is really gospel. And then chapter 12 through the end of the book is ethic. It's how we should live. And that's why this chapters 12, 1 and 2 become such a big deal. That because of the gospel, now we live in such a way that responds properly. And we see in that our first point or our first idea that is really just a repetition of Luke prior that hospitality is built upon God's hospitable grace. Hospitality is built on this grace that God has shown us. And we need to be reminded of it again and again and again. And that is why in chapter 12 of Romans, Paul starts off with saying, I appeal to you, therefore, because of, in light of, all that I've said in the first 11 chapters, because of what Jesus has done, therefore you should live in such a way important to see this line of thought. Gospel, therefore, live hospitably. It's not be hospitable, therefore, get something from God. We live out of the response of what God has shown us. And we build up our hospitality on that solid foundation of saying, I have been given much. I can give freely and at the hands of the Lord. It's important, and I know it sounds like a broken record, but but it's a, it truly is it's something that we need to hear that, that if we try to do this hospitality, what we're calling for over these five weeks, and we try to do it out of, our, out of just duty, we try to do it out of feeling like, okay, God, I, I, you're telling me to do this, so I'm going to do this, and we aren't first filled up by what he's done, we're going to burn out. We're going to flame out. We're not going to enjoy it. It's not going to be spirit-filled. It's not going to be what, we, what God really wants, because what's going to happen is, is we aren't going to have that foundation of delight from God that He's done something for us as we're showing hospitality to other people. As we get reminded about what we've been given, we will miss out on now what we're handing and what we cling tightly and say, I don't want to give my kingdom. I don't want to give my house. I don't want to open it up. We need to consider the grace of God and this foundation of God being hospitable to us. And that's important because, as I said, what he's saying in chapter 12 for them and for us is really a shift in a, in a change in worldview. It's a, it's a pressing thing that really calls for, for us to just shift our priorities in life around and how we live. Because what he's going to ask us to do in verses 1 is to lay our lives down before the Lord. And, and that's the next thing that we see. Is that hospitality is an aspect of laying our life before the Lord. Hospitality is an aspect that we could call use these verses for a whole lot of other things, but at least in our context of hospitality, there is part of us that that being hospitable is us laying our life down before the Lord, our, our worship, and Paul is calling us to do that. He says, verse one, I appeal to you, or other translations use call or urge, or even in the New Living Translation, it says, I plead, I beg of you. Realize what you've been given and live out of that. And the living out of that is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And when he says body, I, I don't think he's meaning the body that we sing about when we're kids. Head and shoulders and feet, toes and toes. He's not just talking about our 
physical bodies. He's talking about our life, our everything, our personalities, who we are, our possessions, to lay them down before the Lord. Before we get into kind of saying what does that look like or what is that, he, he adds this little phrase in there. By the mercies of God. By the mercies of God, or he says, in view of what God has done. Again, going back to the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, and we can say, what are the mercies of God? What We know we say God is merciful, but what does that mean? What are the mercies? I, I, I want to just, there, there are many, but I just want to clue in on one passage that Paul gives for us in the middle of uh, Romans, Romans 5, verses 8 through 10. He says this, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. Since there we have now been justified by his blood, meaning we've been made in right relationship with God. Our sins have been forgiven. We have, we have been pulled out of hell for, if we trust in this message. He says, much more shall we be saved with him from the wrath of God. And then he goes on, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. There's this idea of twofold, that we've been not only brought back to life, but now it's the idea of as we live life by God's mercies, the life we've been given, it, it's been purchased by Jesus' blood, and the life we now live, it belongs to him. Sometimes we hear the gospel and trust the gospel, but we miss that aspect. That the life we live out, our, our, our new life in Christ, is one that was paid for at a steep cost. And as we live each day, the breath that we're given, the opportunities we, we give, are given, the, the stuff we have, that was purchased by the blood of Jesus. And so here he's offering us to say, present or offer to God, give to God your life, your everything, your bodies, or, or more correctly, give, give him all. In the message, Eugene Peterson translates this verse like this. It says, take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. To give everything to Him. And really, He can do that, and Paul can offer that because He said, everything you've been given, it's God's anyway. So really, you're not giving Him something new. It's something that He's purchased. You're just saying, it's yours anyway. I want to be open-handed with it. And I think that applies to our home. If Peterson is right in translating it the way he's saying, the place where you eat, the place where you sleep, the place where you just hang out and spend lots of your hours, it's the Lord's. Give it to Him. If you don't think your house pertains to your personality or what you lay down, I, I just, I think this is interesting. We bought a house up on the north end of town, and I would try to tell people where we live. And, and people would say, oh, I don't know where that is, middle of the road, I have no idea. But then I would say, well, it's the house that John Clausen used to live in. And people would immediately say, oh, yeah, I know that house. It's the idea that even in our community, we know that, that our home and where we live is attached to our personality. It's who we are. And, and it, people know stuff about us based off where we live. And we say, will I be open-handed with that? Because as Paul is pleading with us, he's saying, 
You need to say, God, this is yours. When you look at my head, it's yours. You purchased it with your blood. It's not mine. Yes, the mortgage has your name on it, and you pay the bills, and you work the job, but but we need to see that the accounts you have to work, the, the money you've been getting, it's all God's anyway. And so we need to just consider these things that we're, we're really just returning to Him what belongs to Him. Paul goes on to say that we offer these things, our bodies, as living sacrifices. We lay it down. We, we give to Him in sacrifice. And, and, and that idea of living applies to the sacrifice. It, 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 which is to suggest that it's, it's not because we're living, but it's to say we're constantly doing it. We're continually moving forward in offering moment by moment by moment by moment, saying, God, this is yours, this is yours, this is yours. It's a way of saying, if there's air in my lungs, if I have possessions, I want them to be yours. And in terms of hospitality, there's a book that I read called Making Room by Christine Pohl, and she says this, this image in terms of hospitality, this idea of living sacrifice, she says, while we might imagine sacrifice in terms of a one-moment heroic martyrdom, like we give one time of just laying down our lives and it's awesome, she says in hospitality, it's more like this. Faithful hospitality usually involves laying our lives down in little pieces, small acts of sacrificial love and service over time. Like I talked about, this is our worship, day in, day out, the Lord. This is where we give to Him what is His, and we say, Lord, I, I worship You with all that I have, all that I am. But practically, of course, this looks like not just saying, come Lord Jesus, be our guest at our dinner table. It, it, it's saying, Lord Jesus, I want to welcome other people in. And, and as Micah talked about last week, when we welcome other people into our world, into our home, into our personality, into who we are, we are actually welcoming in Him into our world. We're doing it as onto Him in our lives. So this idea of welcoming people in, it's, it's a sacrifice, it's a laying down, it's an offering of the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to be holy and acceptable to You. I want to give You worship through being hospitable. The text continues on to verse 2. In verse 2, we see this, that hospitality, as we look at God's kingdom and our kingdom, the, the downside or the, the, the shadow of this is, is that hospitality will create a conflict of kingdoms. I promise you that. As you're trying to press into this, as you're trying to lay your life down, that there is going to be a conflict that arises. Look at verse 2. He's telling these Christians, that you should be a living sacrifice, but then he gives this kind of parallel verse to kind of give further meaning to. He says, in that, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He says, don't be conformed. Don't be uh, kind of shaped like the world. How many of us are, are, are looking at the world and we... And we like, yeah, I don't want to be like the world. I don't want to be right for Jesus. But I think that there's an idea here that as we sit there and say, I, I don't want to be conformed, that we really need to take and ask this question, am I or am I really living different? Or am I, are there ways, subtle ways that I'm being conformed to look, sound, feel, act like the things that the culture of the world 
prioritizes. It's interesting because that word, that verb, conformed, it's, it's a command, but, but he, which says, do not do this. But in it, there's, there's kind of a, an unknown of what Paul is saying, that, that we don't really know if, it's, if he's challenging them to say, the world, without you knowing it, is changing you and kind of forcing their way. Or we don't know if this church in Rome has just kind of said, I give up, I'm just going to go with the world. Either way, it, it seems as if what Paul is calling us to is this uphill swim against the current of culture, against the kingdom of the world. He's calling us to be different than that, to be distinct from it. Micah and I, as we, we met and we talked about some of the, the questions to be asked after this, and, and we were talking about this passage, we seem that... We seem to see that, that in this passage where we're, we're talking about an uphill swim and you're trying to swim against the current, the reality is, is that there's, there's no neutral. There's no just kind of sitting still and floating in this battle. If the culture is going this way and we're not swimming against it, we're either going to be just kind of giving up and floating and that's going to take us downstream or we're going to give in and we're going to swim with it and say, I'm just, I just give in. I'm going with the culture conflict starts to occur when we say, do I want to trust in God's unshakable kingdom? Do I want to live through that and hold on to that and live and, and, and breathe kingdom life, or do I want to just be part of the culture, the world around me? For them in their day, it was, it was Jew-Gentile Christian relations. It was eating practices, and, and we don't have that. But for them, they were asking, do I, do I trust in the kingdom, my kingdom, my comforts, or do I trust in what God is calling me to do? And actually, as Paul gives this message, historically, we could look back and say the church actually did quite well. They actually did welcome people in. They took response to what Paul said in Rome. And, in Rome, and, and they did this, and they welcomed the sick and the, the needy in. But as the culture took on the form of Christianity, what happened was the same word that we use, hospitality, hospital and hostel, these places, these institutions of welcoming people in, they moved outside of the home and they moved into out their places. And so over time, the culture went that way and took hospitality on and put it, made it an institution. And meanwhile, Christians kind of neglected welcoming people in their homes. Gets in Cole again. She says, people are hungry to be welcomed. People in our society are, are excited. For, they want that. But we as Christians have lost track of our heritage of hospitality. Today we don't have the same issues. But culture is shaping us in ways that we don't realize. Dustin Willis and, and Brandon Clement in their book, The Simplest Way to Change the World, which is all about hospitality in the home. It's a great book. They say this. When it comes to biblical hospitality, the thing that we are calling us to respond to and to do, they say that almost every everything in our culture is set up to hinder us from pursuing it. Almost everything in our culture is set up to hinder us from pursuing biblical hospitality. And they give four things. And I have those pop up on the slide here. These four things that that they give to us as, as conflicts with the kingdom, the, the conflicts, the, the culture that we live in challenges us these things. And I want to just give two asterisks next to this. First off is these things that you see them come up, your, your reaction is going to be want to kind of, to kind of press in and say like, 
but those aren't bad things. And I will affirm that, yes, these things that are going to be thrown up on the screen aren't bad things to a point. But when our home, especially our house, uh, takes on and this is our whole worldview, we have to ask, am I just being shaped with the culture? The other thing, and this is just my comment on this whole message, because I'm one of them. It's for you introverts, and I won't ask you to raise your hand because you won't raise them anyway. That's funny. Um, Then I'm not asking us to be these party hounds. I'm not asking us to be uh, just just Martha Stewart and and to entertain all the time. Uh, I'm asking us to at least just press in and say, where are bite-sized places where I can move against the grain and welcome people into my world? first one that they have is called is, is the word isolation. This is the idea or the, the cultural norm that says, my home is my kingdom, my oasis, my retreat. It's the place I go to. Remember the garage doors I talked about? The garage door goes up, I drive in, garage door goes closed, and I never have to interact with my world around me. My home is mine. Have you ever driven around Mountain Lake and Again, saying, if you do this, I'm not blaming you, but I'm just saying that it's the culture that we live in. That in every house, the blinds are closed, as if to say, I don't want you to see in there. I don't want you to look into my house and notice that there's actually people that actually live here. I laugh because there's a couple houses that I can think of in my mind where I can see the giant TV on the other side of that curtain shining back at me, but I can't see the people that are in there. It's saying, I'm closed off to the world around me. Or consider how our porches in, in our day have moved from the front of the house to the back of the house. This idea is that I, my house is a place where I isolate myself from the world around me. And it's my domain where I go to be by myself. It's my retreat, my oasis of that nature. The second one that they mention is relaxation. Again, not a bad thing. But when our home takes on the cultural norm that my home is where I come after a hard day's work, where I want to unwind, where I want to just put up my feet, we we need to see that that's a cultural norm. That goes against the Bible of welcoming people in and what we're supposed to use for that space. We can relax, but let it not be at the cost of hospitality. Thirdly, entertainment. My home is where I go to enjoy life. And we know that in a world of 24-hour news stations that we can turn on, uh, in in the world of Netflix, in the world of of our hobbies that we can have, in in the world of of sports, I mean, think about the time of uh, of Rome. They had to actually go to the Colosseum to see sport. Here the Colosseum comes to us every Sunday with the NFL, right? We go into our home and we are entertained and we think that life is all about just enjoyment and being uh, being satisfied and, and being entertained rather than welcoming people in with the gospel. Again, to have a TV, not a crime. To have the nice things that we like to enjoy, not a bad thing, but when it becomes our worldview, we need to consider, am I missing something? Am I going with the flow of culture? Fourthly, busyness. This is the idea that my home is already already has so much to do. There's cooking, there's cleaning, there's sleeping, uh, there's studying and taking care of the kids. There's all these things. And that doesn't even mention 
probably have to go out and take the kids to soccer or or I have to go do uh, whatever. <laughs> the idea is that, that it says, I don't have time to be hospitable. I don't, I, can, I don't have room in my schedule to welcome people over. The culture kind of allows us, and as we go with the culture, that becomes a norm. And, and if we're honest, we, we, we fall into this line of thinking more often in my life. And I, I myself am one that does that. I'd say what's sad is not only does this transform into our home, but I think it even comes into our churches as well, that our churches become to say, this is about me. I'm here for my relaxation. I'm here to be fed. I'm here to be entertained. And I'm here to, be, uh, to have all sorts of programs rather than I'm here to meet the person in the pew next to me and to find out what's going on. things. One is just our sin nature. I think we have to acknowledge that our, our, while we are saved, while we are, are, are redeemed, that we still have a sin nature in a, in a world that's broken, and, and our, our nature is to be praising ourselves and to making much of our kingdom. We falter into this all the time. The second thing that I think of this, that, that I think we, we don't swim against the culture, is, is fear. Fear of rejection. Fear of not being relevant. Think fear of, especially if we're maybe older, saying, I don't have anything to offer to this younger generation, or, or I can't give them the meal that I once could. I, I think just even uh, saying, hey, come over for a cup of tea or coffee would be wonderful. Fear, the fear of being hurt, the fear of not knowing what it's like to welcome someone to my home, those things are all realities that cause us to not swim against culture and to drift into uh, a lack of hospitality. Third is the enemy. Think we have to admit that there's an enemy that wants to battle against us, that wants to stop us. If God has called us to this and He sees it as part of His mission to the world, I think there is an enemy that is going to be speaking lies to us and saying, Don't welcome people in my home. Your home is your home. Your stuff is your stuff. Don't welcome people in. Those three things are just helpful for us to be reminded what is working against us, the battle that we are fighting against, the, the uphill stream that we have to go against. If we were to look to Jesus and Paul, and I'm not going to go into that here, but we could we could really kind of hash out that Jesus' example is is not one that isolates. He went to the people. He, he, he took time out of, I mean, he was king over the universe, and he took time out of schedule to do what? To come and bring us back and even become his slave. I think of Paul's example, you know, the example of I come to relax. I, I put in my time at my job, and then I keep my feet up at night. Paul was a tent maker. He had another job, and yet he was the greatest church planter of all. He didn't kick his feet up. He pressed in. And he said in all his letters, I want to come to you. I want to be with you. I want to share life with you. Do that again for dinner. A couple more quick points here. The text says, instead, don't be conformed to the world. Don't fall into that, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed. And the, the word there is it's kind of cool in two different ways. One, it suggests that if you are like, shoot, I'm really messing, missing, I'm really uh, depending on my own kingdom on that last point, this idea is saying we can change, that there is hope. 
that where we're struggling in this, as we uh, um, admit that and we renew our mind on what God is calling us to, we can move forward. The second part that's really nice about that and cool about that is it says that the verb is of transform is passive. It means that we aren't doing the ones doing the transforming. It's saying God is going to do the heavy lifting. God is going to do the work. He's going to be the one that changes us into who He wants us to be. The Spirit is working through us as we press in. When we start to say, it's yours anyway, I just want to live for you, I want to give this over to you, Lord, God will say, I can work with that. And then it says we do this by the renewing of our mind. Now, what Paul is not saying, though I think it's important, is he's not saying, go have extended prayer sessions. Just go and read the Bible all the time and just get more information in there. I think the renewing of our mind, he, he suggests, is not just in our head, but it moves down into our heart and it has to move into our hands. And I, I say that because where he goes in the rest of chapter 12 is doing stuff. The part of the reminder of, uh, of us living this out is actually not just to have more knowledge, but to let it trickle into our heart and then to move into praxis, to live that out and actually press in. That's where we're going to be transformed when we actually step into transformation, when we step into hospitality. That gives us all those commands in the following passages. I want to give testimony to my own world that I, and this and the next point is that I've been a Christian all my life, or for a lot of my life. I grew up in Awana. I came to Jesus as, as a child. I, I, I did this, the youth group thing. I, I, I was a missionary overseas. I'm seminary trained. All these things. And I would say within the last year or so, as this topic has become more and more illuminated, and as I've trusted in hospitality to trust God in it, I can honestly say, as pastor, that I am being transformed in ways that I did not imagine. God is using and transforming by His grace in powerful ways that I would have never expected. Like I'm trusting, saying, okay, God, our house, as we've moved into it over this last year, it's not our house, it's your house. And we're welcome to come in. Hospitality is a powerful transforming grace. We need to believe that. We need to press in. There's no slide for this. I realized this morning I could have forgot this one, but hospitality also comes with a blessing confirming God's heart. Hospitality, if you're writing this down, comes with a blessing of confirming God's heart. It says, Renew by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. That idea of testing is that something will hold the test of time, that it will show itself as approved, that it will uh, hold up in the wind. But it's not saying that you will be tested and you will hold up. It's actually saying God's will, God's heart, God's compassion, His covenant, His, His attitude to welcome people in will hold up. Again, I think that what he's trying to get at, what Paul is going for here is he's saying, as you trust the Lord, as you press in and you step in and say, I want to welcome others in because I want to welcome people in based on what you've given me. What's going to happen is we are going to learn truly that God is who he says he is. 
we were going to learn stuff about his nature, his character. We were going to be confirmed, and we were going to say, God, you are so good. I think of the, the, the reality of, of being told by someone who you poured into and saying, I don't want to meet with you anymore. Or, or, or being told, like, I, I know that, that you've welcomed me in, but, but they kind of disregard and they don't truly thank that. I, I recognize that, and it affirms, God, you have done that with me. As I say, God, I know you give me stuff, but I don't really care. I don't really want to acknowledge that. This aspect of hospitality, we learn new stuff about God's character, His compassion, uh, his, his love for us, His plan for the world through this act of hospitality. And it's something that we need to press into. It comes with the blessing of confirming God's heart. And as we do it, as we look to press in, we look to Christ as an example. And this kind of comes full circle with uh, where we're Flip over with me, and I just want to read these verses. Chapter 15, Paul is again going to say, welcome one another, this idea of hospitality, verse 7, but I want to just read these verses. Chapter 15, Paul is kind of moving towards the closing of his message, and he says this, we who are strong, verse 1, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Not to please ourselves, let each one of us please his neighbor for his good and build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on you. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the unity of the church here. We'll talk about that next week. He goes on to say, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Christ welcomed us by saying, God, my life in the flesh is yours. I'm open-handed. I will be a sacrifice for this people. I will purchase them with my blood. I will welcome them into your hospitality, God, through my sacrifice. And when we think about our home, we think about what's precious to us. Jesus gave his life. He might challenge us to say, how can I at least welcome someone? Father God, I, I, I'm thankful. We are thankful that because of your gospel, we have been welcomed into your family. We have been brought into a, a relationship with you that is so good, so unshakable. We trust that you're preparing a home for us for eternity new heaven and new earth that, that we will enjoy forever. And we acknowledge that even the house, the roof over our head, the, the, the space that we love to be and where our family is and that reflects our personality, we admit and confess that it is temporary. Not only that, the life that we live, it's one that you purchased with your precious blood. 
so we want to turn around and respond to the gospel so Jesus may you be open to number one may we swim counterculturally and and, and look to to say this this isn't about me by me by me by myself this is not about my relaxation this is not about my my entertainment Lord my hope is in you so we turn and renew our our, our love and our trust in you our gospel hope and save a life that has been perished in sin. Lord, may we stumble through this after we learn. Give us grace as we as we as we walk, as we learn to walk in step with Christ. May you transform us and be more like Jesus for your glory. Jesus, we, we ask these things for your glory. And as we go out from here, we go back to our Spirit pressing towards the Lord. Lord, forgive me of some of my sins.